I tell you what, there is nothing that makes my heart rejoice more outside of Christ than just watching His people worship and worshiping along with you. And uh, my prayer for, I know worship, we've, we say this a lot, is much more than just uh, the songs that we sing, but uh, a lot of us really connect in worship when we're singing. And my prayer is always that our worship during song time is passionate because we actually live our lives in such a way that we experience the, the words that we're singing. And when you are singing about God's goodness or just think through some of those songs and, and you know you're experiencing that from God, when you sing and shout, man, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're on key or off key, you just let it go. I mean, you just, you just can't help but singing out. And, and that is the life that God calls us to live, expects us to live, desires for us that we live it in that way, one that's real, one that you don't have to fake. Uh, you don't have to sing good to worship good. Uh, when you experience a good God in your lifestyle, you just, you can't help but worship and give and um, just be grateful for, for the very breath he's put in your lungs. I mean, we don't think about breathing, but God gave you that. And uh, man, why wouldn't we want to use that breath? Uh, we, we, most of us will live 80 years on average, that's it. And then we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. And man, aren't those 80 years here on this earth worthy of our every breath to sing out and to shout out praise to our Father? Today, we are going to look at um, Jesus the Healer. We're going to continue our study in John uh, chapter 4. We're going to close out 4 and we're going to start chapter 5 today. And we're going to look at two different uh, healing stories. And as much as we might think that the physical infirmities that, that uh, the people were experiencing that Jesus healed them of. Maybe a lot of us here are today and we're not, we're not suffering with the physical infirmity. Um, I want us to know there's so much we can pull out of this passage that relates to uh, our, our spiritual healing, our mental healing, or emotional healing, or so many different... I mean, Jesus is the healer, and so uh, if you're here this morning and you're not facing some physical infirmity, definitely do not check out, even though we're going to talk about some healing stories of Jesus, because I think there's some things that we can really pull from. And so what I want to do this morning... I want to just read through story number one. It wraps up John chapter four. So I want to read all the way through it. And I just want us, I want that to help us as you, as you follow along, visualize what's going on here. And then we'll go back and we'll break some of that down. And so it says this, starting with verse 46, says, once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had returned, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. 
Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. And so I want to first of all point out this phrase in verse 46 that says, once again. Now, if we go back and we look at verse uh, 43 and 44, it says, after the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. All right, and so uh, these are people that literally grew up with Jesus. They knew Jesus as a little boy. They knew Jesus as Joseph's son. They knew Jesus as that little carpenter boy. They knew Jesus as just a human being. And surely this Jesus couldn't be God, the Messiah in the flesh. I mean, he's, he doesn't live in any kingly estate. Uh, he, he, he's from Galilee. He grew up there. We, we, we know that, Jesus. And, and, and he turned water into wine. And, and there was this great miracle that we looked at in John chapter 2. And now we get to verse 46, and it says, Once again, Jesus returns to Galilee. And this is my point. See, sometimes God will show up in your life, and he will work something out. And sometimes you don't even notice. Sometimes God will show up and work out something in your life and you give credit to coincidence or what someone else gave or how someone else saved you or did this or did that. And I think that's what happened in Galilee when Jesus turned water into wine. A few people experienced that and it increased their faith but many did not. And here's the cool thing about God. God never gives up on us. So once again, Jesus returns to do something again, just in case some people there might get it this time. So if you're here this morning and God's done something in and around your life, something you forgot about, something you didn't give him credit for, something you just totally missed, he's coming around again and he's going to do something in your life. And he loves you enough, he wants you to learn the lesson this time. Hey, wait, God is always around. God does come back around. God always sees. God always knows everything. He knows right where I'm at. And so once again, Jesus goes back and he is found or he's approached by this royal official in verse 47. And it says this, When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. This man was pleading with Jesus. This man, it says, was begging Jesus to heal his son. In other words, this man was desperate. If you've lived very long at all, 
you know what it's like to feel desperate, don't you? Maybe a, a child's sick and you, you can't help them. And so you take him to the hospital. And the doctor's, nothing's helping. You're desperate. What do you do? You cry out to God, right? I mean, you, you have, you have no, no desire to get that feeling of desperation settled and, unless God shows up and, and does something. Because if it was in your control, surely you would do something in your situation. But sometimes we face things in life that we can't control. And so we're desperate, and that's a good place to live. Why? When you're desperate, where, do you, where are you pointed towards? Do you pray a little bit more passionately when you're desperate? Do you seek God a little bit more when you're desperate? Do you bargain with God a little bit more, whether you can or can't? I mean, you can't really do that, but do you, are you tempted to like, okay, God, if you just show up this one time, just this one last time, I'll never ask for anything again. All right, God, if you just do this one thing, I promise I'll go to church more. I'll read my Bible more. Why? Because you're desperate. You need God to show up. This man was desperate. And how many times, because we serve a God that loves, a God that cares, a God that sees, a God that knows, even in our childish ways of approaching Him and begging, what does God do many times? He shows up. And many times, He does what we're asking Him to, and sometimes He doesn't do what we're asking Him to, but He still shows up, doesn't He? He works something out doesn't he because God likes when you're in a desperate place not because of your feeling of desperation or because he's mean but because he knows you're going to turn to him so my first challenge to all of us is this morning I don't have to tell you to pray harder when you're in a desperate situation or to even pray you naturally do that right but what I and what we and what others have to constantly remind me of is to pray more for other people to intercede. And we don't because we get a little lazy or we're not desperate. So what might God do if we get a little bit more desperate in our prayers when we're not involved or it doesn't affect us personally in any way, but we're solely praying for someone else? or we're solely praying for God's kingdom to move, or we're uh, desperately praying for God to reach a soul, someone that's close to us, someone that we've been talking with, someone who's in a bad place. If we would get a little bit more desperate in our praying, I think we would see God do even more. I just believe that. There's this pattern in Scripture that when God's people seek his face, God's people get God back in return. Not because we deserve it, but because God is good. Because God is faithful to his promises, and so many of them are attached to seeking his face 
or turning to him in prayer or asking, asking with the right motives, asking according to his will, asking according to what his word states so that we can have confidence that we're praying in his will. So think of that time you were desperate and how can you turn that feeling into seeking God in prayer for something or someone else? What might God do? We all know what it's like to feel like there's no way out unless God does something. And so this morning, one of my challenges is going to be to all of us is to step out on faith. Now, let me just say this. Let's take a leap of faith. Let's take, let's take leaps of faith today. Let's go out on a limb for God in such a way that we'll have to be desperate for Him to show up and do something that we believe He wants to accomplish on this earth through you, through me, through Truth and Grace Fellowship through Pastor George, through any other believer we're connected to. Like, let's follow God out there and let's get stuck out there on the limb. Not because circumstances say we're desperate, but because we just want to see God's kingdom advance. And when God sees in you and I a willing heart to do that, guess what he's going to say? Step out. Go move he's gonna say something so this man comes to jesus and he's desperate because his son is dying and in verse 48 jesus says this it's an interesting response unless you people see signs and wonders jesus told him you will never believe it's kind of an odd response isn't it I mean, Jesus is full of compassion. This man's coming to him and begging his son's dying. I'm assuming it's, it's a fairly young boy. It's not, a, it's not a man. And Jesus makes this statement. So my question to us is, will we only believe God if we see some sign or wonder from him? Now, I don't know exactly where everyone stands here this morning when it comes to to salvation if if you're saved or if you know for sure that you're saved but some of us here can probably relate to this and maybe some of us uh, watching online or here this morning are thinking this you know i would really just give my life fully god fully to god if he would just show up and show me some sign if if god would just do something that would that, that, that would convince me that I know that I know that he is who he says he is, then I'd be all in. I'm just uncertain. And that's why the Bible says it takes God's grace through our faith to be saved. You're going to have to not have that hard lightning bolt evidence. There's going to be some faith involved. You're going to have to step out. And what we're going to see in just a little bit is the signs and wonders follow faith 
They don't come so that then God proves to us he really is who he says he is. Then we can have faith. That's what Jesus is saying here. Too many times, we, even after we're saved, we're wanting to have the faith of, and you fill in the blank, it might be a Bible character, it might be one of your favorite authors or teachers or your pastor or your mom or your dad or your grandma and grandpa that just had faith like, man, they just, they never wavered. I wish I had faith like, and you fill in the blank, right? We're waiting for God to show up and really do something so that then we'll have faith like that. That's what Jesus I think is trying to get across to us today. Are we waiting on God to do something before we'll re- we really believe in Him or take our next leap or step of faith? Or will we do what this man did? Verse 49 says, The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. And what's it say? The man took Jesus at his word and departed. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Will we take God at his word and then walk in faith, the type of faith that Jesus commends in Scripture, one that affects our actions, our attitude, our confidence to boldly move forward? Or are we waiting for Him to show up first and to do something great in front of our eyes, and then we'll follow? Well, this is what I want to say to us this morning and remind us of this. God has already made the first move. Jesus was walking the face of this earth. In another passage of Scripture, He was saying, This generation seeks signs and wonders, but no sign will be performed for it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, who was in the belly of a well three days and three nights. And Jesus was pointing to His brutal death and being put in a grave for three days And then God would raise him from the dead. Jesus said, that is the sign, the only sign that you're going to get. Now let's think about that sign for a minute. Because for us, it happened 2,000 years ago. We didn't walk around. We didn't see that. Yet 2,000 years later, people all over this world are telling people about a man named Jesus who came, walked the face of this earth, healed people, taught about God, welcomed children, loved people, and was brutally put on a cross and tortured and died so that men and women might be saved from the penalty of sin, which is death and eternal separation from Christ. And to prove that Jesus wasn't just a carpenter's son, God on the third day, after many people saw him on the cross, saw him stabbed in his side, saw him bleed to death, saw him die, put in a grave, 
God chose to raise him flesh and blood from the grave to walk around and to be a testimony to people. People were eyewitnesses of this account, and this man named Jesus proved he was God by rising from the dead. And people after that fact, the disciples and many others, were literally willing to take huge leaps of faith to advance the kingdom of God. They literally gave their lives because God moved first. And they spent the rest of their lives making sure everyone else knew about this Jesus Fast forward to today, you know about Jesus because of all that throughout 2,000 years has been done. And we are still waiting on God to show up and do something to prove He is who He says He is. Jesus is saying this, hey, I've already made the first move. Now I'm inviting you to move. I'm calling you out on the waters. That's the message here. The man took Jesus at his word and he went home. Are we believing in God in such a way that we are taking leaps of faith, taking opportunities to follow his lead and stretching our faith? What are you praying for that only God could do? What is he leading you to accomplish that you'll need to be totally dependent upon him, desperate for him? You'll only do this or accomplish this if God shows up and provides. Now, here's the thing. I don't think you and I get to pick and choose what that is, but I believe if you and I spend time with God, God will say, go, your son lives go do this or do, go do that. And we, all we have to do is take God at his word and follow. And I'm telling you, he's going to do amazing things. I've seen it time and time again in my life. And it started for me with just a little, little bitty step of faith. And then God showed up and moved. And why did I take that initial step of faith? Because God made the first move. God proved by pointing me to Jesus and Scripture and people that knew him and told me about Jesus. Oh man, he did that for me? So I chose to trust. And he's called me out. Trust more. Called me out. Trust more. With finances. With a calling. With a spouse. With a family. With a job. With a church. So many ways. Okay, God, I need you once again. If you want me to do that, I'm going to need you. He's like, yeah, I know. I want you to need me. I want you to need God. First and foremost, more than your spouse, more than your church, more than your pastor, more than money, you need God. And God is the owner of it all. And God will use money and use your pastor and use your spouse and use uh, different things at times to provide for you. But your initial desperation and desire is for God and for His kingdom to advance. Now if we look at verses 
50 through 53, when, when the servants, remember, so Jesus said, go, your son lives. What did the man do? He didn't plead anymore, did he? What did he do? He got a word from the Lord, and he took the word, and he obeyed it. And so he went. Go means go home. And before he got home, his servants were running to him to tell him about the sign and wonder that his son was alive, that his son was healed. Jesus didn't walk that man home, heal his son, and say, now do you believe? Jesus said, go, your son lives. And the man took Jesus at his word, went home, he found out his son was healed, and now what happened to his faith? He and his whole household believed. Isn't that cool? So all you have to do is find out what God wants from you. If you're stuck in a desperate situation, what is God saying? What does God want you to do? It might be as simple as wait. Just wait. But if you heard God whisper that to you and you knew it was God and he said wait, would that make the waiting easier? I think so. If you, I mean, God speaks to you and he says wait. You didn't have some weird dream because you ate sausage pizza the night before or whatever and you got this crazy idea and you thought, well, maybe that's God. I mean, no, God gave you a word through however he decides to do it. And again, this is literally number one way, probably. His word. It's his word, because he wants to give you a word like he's giving us this morning. The reason why I'm so big on journaling or prayer journaling is because like this man did, he said, hey, at what time was my son healed? About yesterday, about one o'clock. He backtracked. Hey, that's exactly when Jesus said, go, your son lives. And so if we would be asking God desperately for things, desperately for a word from Him, desperately for things that He might want us to accomplish to advance His kingdom, and He gives us a word, and we write it down, and we put a date next to it, and we start praying it, and then God moves and does it, now we have a testimony remembered. Man, that's something I've been praying for. And you don't get to decide that. God does. He's the one that gives you the word. You just seek His face. And the more you and I do that, the more desperate situations you and I are going to be in, but it's going to be a good thing. It's not going to be because just someone in our family's sick kind of desperate situation, although we'll face those too. I mean, we will, and we do. But it's going to be because he's stretching your faith, and he's asking you to do something that's uncomfortable for you, and he's asking you to do something beyond your means to where you need him to come through and he does and your faith increases so it's not God show up do a sign and wonder so that I can believe it's God give me a word so I can follow and then the sign and wonders come see Jesus didn't say I'm not willing to give you signs and wonders signs and wonders follow God's people all the time down through the centuries but they can always be traced back to them taking a step of faith because God was drawing them out, calling them out. 
And they were desperate. Again, I've shared so many times before, so many revivals where thousands and ten thousands of people got dramatically saved always traces back to a group of people literally crying out on their knees for hours asking and begging God to save souls. Man, if that's not a sign or a wonder... We know what it's like to be desperate. All right, let's move on. Uh, Start spreading and testifying to how God is answering your prayers and watch others around you be influenced and drawn to seek God and drawn to step out on their faith as well. And now you can be the one that someone else is saying, man, I wish I had so-and-so's faith. And you can gently tell them how you got it. Start spending time with God. And when he reveals something to you, do it. Trust him enough to do it. That's biblical faith. Not, yeah, I believe in God. Because Satan can even say that. Yeah, I believe in God. No, I, I believe in God. Like, God can do anything. Because he's done A, B, C, D, E in my life. That's personal experience that God wants us to have. All right, let's go to John 5. Let's, again, we're going to do the same thing. How are we doing on time? Let's uh, read through the scripture, and then we'll uh, see what we can pull out of this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind the lame the paralyzed desperate place again right you imagine walking up and there's these pools around and all these lame blind paralyzed people are just laying on mats that's what's going on here one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years when jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. I don't know about you, but if I've been an invalid for 38 years and some guy comes up to me and says, get up, pick up your bed and walk, and all of a sudden I can walk, I don't care what day of the week it is. I'm like jumping, shouting, leave it up to those old good Jewish Religious leaders that were letter of the law, letter of the law, letter of the law. Hey, you can't do that on the Sabbath. <laughs> Sorry. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. It's amazing that he, he didn't even know who it was. 
Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. All right, let's go back to verse 6. All these people around, one man was there 38 years. Jesus saw him laying there in the condition that he'd been in for a long time. And he asked this question, do you want to get well? Why would Jesus ask someone who had been lame for 38 years if they wanted to get well? Now, I don't know that anyone of us knows what it's like to be crippled or paralyzed for 38 years and not be able to walk. I don't think anyone here, uh, or probably not even online. So how does that relate to you and I today? Well, this man was literally, because he couldn't walk, stuck on his mat. Right? You ever been stuck somewhere? And I don't mean like, you know, your car in the mud or water or something, although that that could relate. I meant like just in your attitude, your spiritual well-being, your devotional time with God. You're just like, you're not moving forward. And the longer you get stuck there, it feels like you're moving backwards. Right? We know what it's like to be stuck, don't we? So here's the thing. If we know what it's like to be stuck, and we're continuing to be stuck, my faith is just right, I'm just stuck, 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 stuck. And we don't get any better. It begs the question, do we want to get better? Or do we like the attention that we sometimes get when we're stuck from people because we're afraid if we get unstuck, we'll lose some attention. I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying, I've got way better news for you than you having to worry about if someone's going to give you attention. If you want to get well and be better today, Jesus is here. He's here. Do you want to get better? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be spiritually healthy, sound? Are you in need of some healing today? Maybe it is physical. Do you need to be set free on the inside? How about your mind, your spirit, your soul, your heart, your attitude, your confidence, your outlook on life? Have you been stuck? Do you want to get well? I feel like I'm in a good place, yet because I know I've just barely scratched the surface of experiencing God, there's so I, I, I don't want to get stuck even in a good place when there's a better place for me. So many times we get stuck in a bad place and we wallow there. And we stay, and we remain, and we whine, and we complain, and we place blame, and we're just stuck. 
Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well? And what's he say in verse 7? Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. What's he doing here? He's coming up with excuses why he can't because someone else won't do it for him. What's that sound like? I don't know your story. I don't know your circumstance. I don't know your situation. I don't know why God has allowed you to go through what you've gone through. I don't know your past experiences. I don't know your hurts, your failures. I don't know people who have mistreated you or why they did. I don't know your sickness or disease. I don't know people who weren't there to pick you up out of a bad place. I do not know that. But there comes a time when you must get rid of all excuses as to why you're stuck on that mat. Stop blaming other people and start seeking God and listening for Him because He offers you freedom, redemption, healing, confidence, hope, joy, no matter your circumstance. And it comes from a place within you that says, I'll be this whether my circumstances change or not, because the Holy Spirit of God has moved in. I've heard His voice. I've responded to His call. I've gotten up. And I'm picking up this place where I'm stuck to, this mat, and I'm walking. I'm moving on. I'm moving forward. I'm following Jesus. I don't know about you, but seri- I, uh, this is no kidding. I don't like to be in bad circumstances and situations and yuck. I don't like to be there. But I would rather experience bad circumstances, yet have freedom and hope and confidence and peace on the inside than to have all of life's circumstances go well and be miserable on the inside. You know what I mean? Because it's that internal that becomes eternal that matters more than the external. It just does. Here's the thing. You're going to experience good and bad no matter what. That's called life. And you can have that kind of healing and peace on the inside. But we need to get rid of the excuses. We need to get up. Verse 8 goes on to say this. Then Jesus said to him, here's, here's the word to that man again. Jesus gave him a word. He didn't heal him. He didn't say, you're healed, get up. He just said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the man doesn't say anymore, but I have no one to put me in the water. But, 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 he doesn't say that. It says, when Jesus said the word, that once the man was cured, 
and he picked up his mat, and he walked. Isn't that awesome? That's what that next verse says. Once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. So for Jesus, what was the word to this man? It sounded like this. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. What does that mean for you today? God has a word for you that only you and he can discern and really know what that means. I can't. I just gave you the word I was supposed to give you. For you, I don't know your circumstance. I don't know your situation. I don't know what mat you may or may not be stuck on. But God is saying, get up, take up your mat, and walk. So what I want you to do, worship team, you guys can come on back up. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to be in prayer and I want you to talk to God about that. If you're not sure still what he's telling you, I want you to ask him, God, here's my situation, here's what I'm thinking about. If you're in a great place, think of someone else. God might have a word to you for them. But I want you to be in prayer and I want you to respond as God is leading you to respond. We're going to get prepped here. Bow your heads, close your eyes, spend some time in prayer and then we'll sing this song together.